Lex, where's that uh, crop duster of yours? I want to talk to him. He seems to have disappeared. Maybe your visit scared him. Something or someone did. What do you have for me? The preliminary results of the fragment we recovered. So what is it? Well, all I can tell you is what it's not. I don't like riddles, Doctor. Then this object will make you profoundly unhappy. To be honest, Lex, there is nothing like this alloy on this earth. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Reed, uh, and I am a youth pastor in Texas. I've been a huge fan of Smallville, and I remember making sure I was home uh, every every night it came on when I was a senior in high school uh, to watch the latest episode uh, for the first season. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at MiniMinister, uh, on Instagram at MiniMinister. Ryan, I also began uh, during this quarantine time a podcast with my teenage daughter by the TV TV show called Psych, and it's called I've Heard It Both Ways, and you can also catch our youth ministry podcast that has our lessons at uh, Fan and Student Ministry. All right, well, let me be the first to welcome you to this iteration of Smallville. Uh, As a way of helping get to know you, we have what we call our Pass the Torch question. So each co-host asks a question at the end of the episode for our next co-host to answer. So last week, Ray asked, what is your favorite one-liner or similar dialogue from Smallville? I put the caveat so far because there's like 220 episodes. You being a super fan actually have multiple because you covered the entire yeah. spectrum. So lay it on me. What are some of your favorite lines from the show? I chose two, which is what's hard to do. But I think the one that resonates with me most so far from the pilot to this episode is in episode two, Metamorphosis, when Lana said, life is about change. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's beautiful. But most of the time, it's both. You know, I think because of the nature of my job as a pastor to teenagers, there's a lot of truth in this quote, um, even though it may sound cheesy, um, because it might be a little cheesy. But, you know, I've used kind of similar lines on my own children that, you know, we've moved in the past. They've been through some hard times and, you know, change is always, it's it's inevitable. It can be good. It can be bad. But a lot of times it's both. And so I like that one. And then uh, from a future episode, it's just a funny line when Lex is talking to Barry Allen and Lex just says, and I want a ponytail. Disappointment abounds. 
I love that. It's just just funny. Um, another again, another line I can use on teenagers that no matter what I do, you're going to be unhappy with something I do. I love that line. Excellent. Uh, so for me, there's a bit of recency bias uh, because uh, again, I watched every episode of the series other than a few of the first season. I yeah. actually skipped around a little bit uh, about two months ago now, maybe even three months ago now, but I watched them all close together. So everything's a bit yeah. of a blur. So just from this season, and this was just even the last episode, uh, which is kind of where the question came from. Yeah. I mentioned how much I love the line when Clark is talking to Lex about his girl troubles. And he says, uh, Clark says along the lines of, let's just say for the sake of argument, or I have these two amazing friends, but I, you know, I don't know how I feel about each of them. And, and Lex says, well, for the sake of argument, let's say their names are Chloe and Lana. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Michael Rosenbaum's Lex delivery of that line is just perfect. It just yeah. makes me literally laugh out loud. Uh, another one from earlier in the season is when Clark and Lex are in the barn loft again talking and Lex or Clark talks about, you know, their friendship and will they ever become enemies? Because that, that was kind of like the moral of that episode. And Lex yeah. says, I think our friendship will be the stuff of legends. I almost, almost wrote that one down. Yeah. It's, it's I a was... really good one. It's really delivered really well. As yeah. Well. Of course it's, you know, if you're a fan of Superman, you know, it's obviously stuff of legends. So yeah, I've got to almost wrote that one down too. That was a good one. Nice. All right, so with that out of the way, let's open our Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Hey, Clark. Look who came to check up on you. We have three returning guest stars. Tom O'Brien as Roger Nixon, Joe Morton as Dr. Stephen Hamilton, and Robert Wisden, Wisden, I apologize, as Gabe Sullivan. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, We also have Darren... Klamlik, so again, yeah. I can't speak either, as Deputy Gary Watts, and Aaron Douglas as Deputy Michael Vertigo. And we don't always call this out, but Aaron Douglas, I know him best as Chief uh, Tyrell from Battlestar Galactica, but he's oh, actually been on a whole bunch of stuff. He was also Turtle on the Flash series, and he's just been around forever and done a lot of stuff. Nice. So uh, now it's time to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet and check the bylines to see who brought us this episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. So this is Season 1, Episode 20, Obscura. The date of original airing was May 14, 2002. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. There are three credited writers for this episode. Mark Verhaden and Michael Green both have a teleplay by credit, and Greg Walker has a, te- a story by credit. All three of these men have been covered in previous episodes, so we're not going to go over their specific histories. Uh, the director for this episode is Terrence O'Hara. We've already covered him on his first directed episode, Reaper. All right. So, Reed, are you now ready to explore the Kawachi Caves and get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we are going? Yes, I am. Excellent. So here is a summary from IMDb. Lana develops a form of clairvoyance after being injured by an explosion, and she has visions of the activity of a local serial kidnapper and killer. When Chloe is kidnapped, Clark must rely on clues from Lana's visions to save her. You know, and that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? Surprisingly, no. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Well, of course it does. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? It's Smallville, yes. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana his powers and abilities? Yes. 
Follow-up, does that person die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark? They die. Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? Yes. Does Clark casually break and enter a business or residence? Uh, Not this week. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? Uh, That is debatable. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? It's Smallville, so yes. Was this person talking weirdly over their shoulder, Lex? Uh, Of course. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? You you have no, but I think there might be a hint. We'll get to that later. I'll talk, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll get to that then. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Yes. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, there are multiple needle drops with some good uh, songs in this episode, but none with lyrics that seem to really relate uh, to what we're seeing on screen, but possibly. Yeah, and just jump in here. I've noticed that the last few episodes, there's been like the tone of the song matches, but the yeah. lyrics don't yeah. really. Yeah. All right. And finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic, wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion about who or what is behind some mysterious event with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Uh, yes. Yes, it is an episode of Smallville. All yep. right. So with that out of the way, let's use our X-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. In our cold open. Lana and Whitney are riding horses through the county and happen upon a gas line explosion. Whitney tries to be a hero and Lana waits way too long to run. She's then knocked unconscious from the blast and also covered by meteor rocks and dirt. Later, at the hospital, she apparently sees through the eyes of someone who has just kidnapped Chloe. So, Ryan, is there anything in the cold open you wanted to talk about? Uh, Yeah, there's kind of like when they're, the helicopter swooping in, because I think drones are really big deal back then. Yeah, I don't think this is definitely helicopter shots yeah. like that. And so you have uh, them riding a horse, and you have this weird music. It feels like an 80s movie, kind of like the, like the the music and the tone, and like where kids are getting their treasure they've been looking for, almost like a Goonies-esque kind of movie, and they get yeah. excited. And it just it felt weird in this scene. Yeah, it, it did not feel like a Smallville opening. I think I mentioned my nose. I thought I was watching a Western for a second. I mean, yeah. I thought like this sweeping music. we got horses riding across the plains. And I also, I, I knew it was Lana. Yeah. I actually didn't realize it was Whitney until we got the close-up. I was like, who's that guy she's riding with? Because I know late, later in the series, she meets her dad, her yeah. apparently her real dad. Uh, I thought, it's like, we well, can't be him. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, Whitney. He's still yeah. around I, for a little while. I'm not sure how much the uh, stunt double was uh, much of a double. Because I, I, I feel like at one point in time, whenever you see them, I feel like he had a beard. I could be wrong. It may just been the shadow, but I was like, this dude has like a beard. It's not Whitney. It's uh, funny. This last time I watched it, uh, there's a scene where the, the explosion happens and Lana's horse kind of rears up. Yeah. And it's very, very clear in that moment that that is not Kristen <laughs> Kruick. Um, yeah. Definitely a stunt double in that particular moment. It's a quick yeah. cut, but but I just I saw it so, so much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be on top of that either. No, not at all. So Whitney and Lana being concerned good citizens decide to go check out this blast because they're dumb yeah and they show up and there's basically a gas gas main that's literally in just middle of a field i don't it's like it comes up and down like the loch ness monster yeah uh, it's impressive one of them is on fire the other is beginning to vibrate as if there's pressure building but no one seems to notice uh except for whitney so whitney runs in trying to be a hero and tells lana to run but she doesn't run no. and then they realize what's going to happen 
and it explodes. But the thing that I noticed is there couldn't have been five minutes between the explosion and when local sheriff shows up. What kind of response time is that? I'm sure Smallville's, I mean, it's small in the name, but I'm guessing it's pretty county, you know, pretty wide range. They were there in five minutes. That's amazing response. They were in the neighborhood. They were probably just down the street doing something else. But what I... What I found was crazy. So you you see the scene like with the the explosion way off in the distance or the big plume of smoke, you see it on fire, and then they tie the horses and then they go to the to the scene. I'm like, wouldn't you been faster to ride your horse? I, I, that just may be me nitpicking, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, I, I've ridden a horse a few times in my life. I'm yeah. no means trained, but but maybe because we did see Lana's maybe. horse rear, they were afraid that maybe. they would get skittish. But yeah. you're right. Like if Time is of the essence. Uh, we had an episode very recently, the one with the bees. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that one's come out yet on on our show. Uh, but there's a moment where Martha gets off the tractor and runs, and yeah. I keep thinking, Annette O'Toole, I love you. I don't think you could outrun a tractor. You probably should have stayed on it. Yeah, it probably yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why Lana decided to chill and just kind of stand there. She just stood there and watched it like it was a yeah. movie. It just. Like, nothing bad's going to happen. But I do like they showed Whitney yet again being a hero. He's got his yeah. problems, yeah. but, but putting himself in danger for other people is not one of his failings. He, yeah. he he will do what's right when the time comes. Yeah, he can be a hero, which <laughs> he is can. kind of what – which is he, he addresses that in a sense at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then again, so. knowing what happens in the future with this character, yeah. it, it kind of makes sense that that's the way they decided to yeah. write him out. exactly. Um. So we get this amazing CGI explosion of Lana running from this gas main as it explodes. She's thrown to the ground again, covered by dirt. She also, as far as I can tell, goes unconscious. So I'm counting that as our first of many unconsciousnesses of this episode. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know much about gas, but I, I would imagine if it blew like a gas main, which probably has more gas than a normal just propane tank. If it explodes, I'm sure that I figured it would be a massive explosion. I mean pretty big and she she was fine i mean she had some dirt and some rocks on her and then like because when they walked over there she kind of she was looking at him and she was come to she was talking to him and then you cut to the uh to the credits and uh so i I don't i don't know if she passes out because she looks at him after it happens yeah it's it's hard to say i mean i just don't think it's very clear but like when she lands her eyes are closed and then she's covered so maybe maybe it was like just like a very quick in and out yeah Hard to say, but there's definitely enough people go unconscious in this episode. Uh, I think Chloe goes unconscious three times herself, so I think we At got least, that covered. Yeah, but yeah, like if you, if you were to see this scene in like a, a contemporary movie or a war movie, you know that explosion like that, we probably would have heard ringing in the ears. That the camera would have been fuzzy. Yeah, but she can clearly see all three of these yeah. youngish men looking at her. Yeah, which is a plot point later because we don't really know who was there first or who maybe touched her. Uh, yeah. Made contact. Touch her sounds dirty. I just mean gotcha. like made contact <laughs> yeah, with yeah. her. Yeah, like try to help her up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then, like I said, we get um, yeah. So we we get we change scenes a little bit, but we still stay yeah. in the cold open, and yeah. we see Lana unconscious uh, at the hospital in a hospital bed. So we got a two for there. Yep. Uh, Clark shows up to check on her, and Chloe shows up, and there's a quick conversation between Clark and Chloe. She's going off for her internship interview, and. Clark just sort of rubs her shoulder and it felt very much like a sort of a chaste sh- sign of affection. And in my head, it's because even though Lana's unconscious, he was there in front of Lana. I think he felt uncomfortable 
showing because later in this episode yeah. they're not really touchy feely, but you know there's a lot more physical contact. Yeah. This seemed very much like I touch your arm because we're yeah. friends, sort of thing. It seemed weird to me. It was kind of awkward, but and then like I said, she also rubbed his arm too. I don't know if you noticed because she kind of she kind of squoze the bicep a little bit. Oh yeah, and um, making sure it's still hard yeah, to steal yeah, yeah, over there. Exactly, and so so she kind of squoze the arm just to make sure that he was okay because I'm sure she knows how much you know. He likes Lana and stuff, and so she was there to come. She's Chloe's just a good friend. Chloe is an amazing person. I love Chloe. Yeah. Uh, and then it's revealed that this wasn't a Western. It was actually a horror flick. Yeah. Because Lana sort of comes awake, and she has this lion-o sort of sight beyond sight, and she can see through the eyes of some mysterious person that's yeah. tracking Chloe as Chloe goes to her car and she's grabbed and appears to be like chloroformed or has like a yeah. napkin. Or that would be stuff. terrifying to have that ability. It it would be. It also would not be very helpful as we learn uh, because you don't get a lot of good information. You can't trust it. Yeah. Uh, but that is the end of our cold open. So we go to go to the, our opening credits there with Chloe apparently being abducted. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing I will point out, the IMD summary, I copied that directly from IMDb. Yeah. It mentions that this person is a serial yeah. Abductor and killer. We That's have no information that he's killed anybody. I mean, he's a bad person. I'm not trying to stand up for him. But not a serial. He's a horrible person. But serial seems like a bit of a stretch there. Yeah, I, I would agree. When I was reading that, I'm like, That's not right, but I'm gonna read it anyways. <laughs> All right, so we jump into our first act. Um at the farm, Martha is meddling in Clark's social life. Lex stops by and gives the Kents a check for their damages. Uh parentheses from an earlier episode, there was some damage to their farm caused by Luthercorp. Lana stops by to see Clark at the torch, worried about Chloe, but not wanting to believe her own visions. Nixon drops by, not the president, uh, yep. Nixon, the reporter, drops by the mansion saying he's working on a story. Lana has another vision of Chloe, and Chloe tries to free herself but gets caught. Of course. So, uh, again, Ryan, so first act, what stuck out to you? Um, I, I, I just like here with the, with the mom, with, with, with Martha and Jonathan's relationship with uh, with Clark, I have a a fourteen year old and a twelve year old, and so I I kind of get this whole interaction that they're having because they're pressure. She's trying to pressure Clark to make a choice. She reminds me of uh, Beverly Goldberg from the TV show The Goldberg. She's a little bit of a smother, maybe not quite as bad of a smother, but she's a little bit there. But it's it's fantastic, and and she offers him some great advice. You know, like hey, the girl that you like is taken. It's time for you to move on and take another girl to the dance. Mm-hmm. So I just like how, how um, Annette O'Toole did this scene here. Uh, I, they're they're just brilliant in my mind. Uh, we get a scene of Jonathan working on the sink, and he appears – at first I thought he was trying to, like, tighten or loosen, like, a bolt. Yeah. But it looks like he was just trying to free the trap. It had already been loosened, yeah. but he's trying he, to free it. Yeah, because if you see Clark come in later, he just takes the whole trap out. He, he just takes the – which I, I get this is a show of, of his strength, and maybe it's supposed to be like – the casualness of having a super powered son, that that's the sort of thing, you know, he's not always out catching buildings and throwing cards around. Sometimes he's just, you know, taking the lid off the pickle jar, yep. but it also seems like a very sort of minor minuscule needless yeah. show. Like, I don't, I don't get what it did for the show to have him do that. I don't know. Just another four seconds of, of stuff on the show. That's all, all it was. <laughs> yeah. Just need, just need to fill out four more seconds. Yep. Uh, so we get Lex dropping by, as he often does. But uh, here he's come with a check, a uh, very generous check. We don't ever see it, but the, there's, there are widening eyes and sort of yeah. 
sounds in the background that apparently it's uh, pretty hefty. Lex assures them that it's not more generous than it deserves. It's the exact amount of yeah, what was cost to, to them. Doesn't want them to be indebted to him. Right. So. Which, again, is a kind of a callback to where Jonathan earlier would not take a loan from Lex. Yeah. Uh, for that, even though it was going to be a better loan than what the bank could give him, and then later we find out the bank doesn't even give him the loan. Uh, so I just, it's, I think it's, it's a good thing that Lex said that, but it's also a little bit of a jab, I think. Yeah, because I like how they try to make this show tries to make Lex a good character from the start and try to make you, you know, make him a likable character because you, see, you know, of course you know the the lore of Superman and and, and Lex Luthor, and you know he's gonna, not going to be a good man forever. Sure. But I like how this show makes him likable. So that whenever he does these things, it's it's almost heartbreaking, but in in a, in a good way from from watching this and and seeing this progression of who he becomes later on. I just I think it makes for some great TV. Uh, yeah, I I really love the portrayal of Lex here, and and it's not to say that it's anyone's fault other than Lex. You know, he's the, he is his own man at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think there's some clear evidence that if things had gone differently with Clark and Lex and Jonathan and Lex. That Lex could have been a great person, a hero. Yeah, say I got right. I, I got that quote uh, ready for later about yeah, that. Yeah, he, he needed a father figure that he didn't get in Lionel, and Jonathan could have been that man. Yeah, but it just wasn't to be. And again, I'm not saying Jonathan should have done that, but I think the show is showing us that it could have been that way. Yeah. which just makes it all the more sad when you see how things happen, yeah. which is a mark of a good show, I think. Yeah, oh, I agree. Uh, I made a note that there's always a banner hanging in front of the school. Uh, we get an sh- exterior shot, and uh, my assumption is there's probably a placard there that's the actual name of the school, and so they're yeah. always having to cover it. And so that that the school is the outside of the school is Vancouver Technical Secondary School is what they use for the outside, and the inside shots were actually at a, at Templeton Secondary School, and they actually filmed during the day. So that's like the class, like the bell would ring between classes. They would have to like pause production scoot the stuff out of the way so people can get their lockers. And so they were, the kids were used to filming or going to school while the show was being filmed. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. I, I, I had looked up earlier about the Vancouver Technical Secondary School, so I knew that, yeah. but I didn't know about the interiors being yeah, so else. Yeah, so they were still going to school while this was being. But so they actually, they changed their school colors to red and yellow to match Smallville school colors. Oh, that's cool. Uh, not directly related right here, but some along the same lines. I don't remember the name now, but the farm that the Kents... Uh, the Kent farm is a working farm in Vancouver yeah. and they were, they were paid to allow them to farm there and they painted the house yellow yep. for them. They wanted it to be a yellow house, but that was an actual working farm that yeah. there's actual animals and they're just sort of filming around it. But I guess they actually ended up making more money from being paid for filming than the farm ever brought in. Uh, that's a good possibility. Yeah. So, uh, so we get uh, a moment. Lana stops in to see Clark at the torch office. Uh, she mentions asking about, Chloe, because you know she thinks Chloe's been abducted, but Chloe's supposed to be in Metropolis, but people can't get a hold of her. So right now she's just sort of like un- uneasy, but there's no like real threat or danger. Yeah. Uh, and you made a note about Clark here. It's he has a dad joke. It's a fantastic <laughs> dad joke because Chloe leaves, he says Chloe leaves a torch for a day and it goes down in flames. Of course, that's a perfect dad joke. Yes, L- Jonathan has more influence than maybe we realize. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also get a little nod to the Superman mythos when uh, Lana says, I, I, I guess we won't see journalism in the in, in your future along yep. those lines. Yep. Uh, so then we cut into the mansion and Roger Nixon has shown up to talk to Lex and wants to mention that 
you know, Wise Lex giving stories to other people. And he actually has like a paper with Carrie Castle, who's a couple episodes back yeah. in the show. And uh, basically lets Lex know that he's working on a big story and it might involve the Kents. And Lex is actually protective. Like he's like, those people, are, not only are they off limits, they're under my protection. Yeah. Like a mob boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, there's always a question about where Lex is. But I mean, he's in quote unquote private and there's no one around that you know clark isn't there the kids aren't there so i think we have to take lex at face value there that in that moment he has given up trying to figure out clark's secret and he wants to protect them later obviously things will interfere but i think that's a great moment to see that lex really has as best he can changed his ways you know he's almost like an addict that's yeah in a long period of drought he's not relapsed yet he will but he's trying yep. to actually make a change. And here comes Roger Nixon waving something under his nose. It starts to get that itch going. Yeah, but Nixon here looks like, okay, I love watching old movies and TV shows from like, when I say old, I mean like from like the 90s or the 2000s when I was like in junior high and high school. Because if you look at Nixon's suit, it's really wide in the shoulders and kind of stays just like a box. And he has like 48 buttons on his coat <laughs> and looks like an old like villain from like a Dick Tracy novel with like, like a long nose or something, but he just looks like the, because again, that's just a clothing style, but it just looks like a villain from Dick Tracy in this, in this scene, but he's just a slimy guy anyways. So yeah, he very, and I think I mentioned like later yeah. there's a scene, I, there's never been a more swarmy, yeah. you know, version of him. He just, uh, he just reeks of um, a bad suit and like bad aftershave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Nixon has a source that someone saw Clark's ship, obviously, we don't know it's Clark's ship, but there, yeah. he has a source that saw something. Can't believe that wouldn't have already come up in the past 13 to 15 years. Yeah. But it sounds like maybe it actually kind of did. Is When we go to meet the source later, he says he got his pilot's license revoked because people thought he was off his rocker. Uh, so maybe it did come up. It just wasn't believed. And in the aftermath of the meteorite, probably people didn't want to, you know, they had true tragedy. They weren't wanting to live yeah. this fanciful life. But I still have a hard time believing that a bigger deal would not have been made over that. Yeah, because we have people, we have previous episodes where people worked on the farm with Clark. And and I can't imagine if if Jonathan had hired these hands to do different things that not one of them walked down into that cellar and saw it in there. I mean, it was, yes, it was underneath like some, you know, piece of cloth, but. It's a tarp. Yeah. Because I mentioned that like two episodes back when there is a character who goes in the root cellar. It's the first thing you see. It's not even behind shelves. It's literally in the middle of the floor with a tarp over it. Have it in some like hidden room or something. Yeah. Or have Clark bury it. He could go in there with a shovel and dig a 50 foot hole in like 12 minutes and then cover it. And then, you know, he can still get to it if he needs to. It just, yeah. It's it's so irresponsible yeah. to have it in an un, what apparently unlocked root cellar. Yeah, that somebody had to have seen that. Yeah. They, they probably uh, killed him off, but whatever. That's a different <laughs> different episode. They didn't kill him off. They died. Oh, that's right. Because, they got a car or wreck. They, or they lost their memory. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. they became a confidant of Clark. Yeah. Uh, so we get to see Clark trying to start the tractor. Doesn't seem to want to start. He gets frustrated and punches down on one of the... I don't know, like a fender kind of thing. Like a fender over the tire and dents it in, which I'm counting as an irresponsible use of power. Because Clark, you're super strong, buddy. You can't be breaking stuff. Yeah, because I get frustrated, but I don't have however many years he's had of super strength, you know, and knowing to deal with super strength. Because if I punch a tire, like one of those things, it's going to break my hand. To him, yeah. he knows it's going to break whatever he's punching. And so you would imagine by now, he would have exercised some precaution in order to, um, in order to 
not do these kind of things. You would think so, but we do learn very quickly that Clark is excited that they're finally going to get a new tractor. So yeah. I wonder if maybe part of this was him knowing that they maybe. were going or believing yeah. that they were going to get rid of it soon. But just from a practical side effect or standpoint, I'm trying to figure out how they pull that off, the practical effect. Yeah. Um, I mean, did they like put a different fender on there and then they cut out part of it and then put like aluminum foil over yeah. it? So I wonder if like it, a, like one of those foil like sheet pans kind of thing, you, you cook like a turkey in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if it's something similar to that, that, so it's a little thicker than aluminum foil, but you know, when you punch it, it made then I don't know, who knows. Because if you look at the scene pretty closely, it's it's really clear. It's almost like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons. Like where he punches is a slightly different color. Yeah. It didn't match perfectly. So you can tell that it's, you know, put there. Yeah. But beyond that, it was actually a good effect. I mean, it looks like he punched a piece of metal and it bent in and yeah. it wrinkled the way you would expect metal to. So I actually was pretty pleased with that. It's a simple, but I, I thought they did a good job other than the color was just a little bit off and made it a little too easy. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens. Yeah. Uh, so we get a conversation between Jonathan and Clark, and Jonathan is debating on whether or not he should cash the check that Lex gave him. Jonathan should be put away if he does not cash that check. I get that he's stubborn, yeah. but we, we've already said, well, she's not great at running a farm. Apparently, he's just not suited to it. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he might like the physical part, but the the actual, you know, behind the scenes business part of it. Yeah. He is not adept. And again, this isn't like Lex gave him money. It's not like he found money on the side of the road. He suffered a loss of of cattle and land. Yeah. That has a dollar amount that can be assigned to it. He's lost that income. I don't know. I I assume they slaughter the cattle for meat. I don't know. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe not these since they were infested with whatever that goose stuff was. Right. Uh, But generally, that's probably, I'm assuming, what they would do with them. So he lo- it's not like he's just inconvenienced. He's lost income on a struggling farm. Yeah. And you have essentially an insurance company through yeah. Lex gives you the value. The fact that he even hesitated, I worry for his mental well-being. So, you know, so that, I, we, we, well, we've seen this stubborn side of, of Jonathan already in this, in this show. And we, we see that he doesn't want anything to do with the Luthers. And, it, you know, we can kind of... In the next season, in episode seven of season two, we kind of see a little bit more of why that happens. I don't want to get into that now. And so we kind of see that, you know, so I guess having the hindsight, we know maybe why he doesn't want to do this. But here, when he, like if you're watching this for the first time, definitely, like, Jonathan, you are an idiot. Take the money. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's different yeah. watching it, you know, for the fifth, sixth time than, if, than the first time I watched it, for sure. Right. And we, we've touched a little bit on that uh about you know, there's a relationship between him and Lionel that isn't shown yet, and he's yeah. worried about getting involved with any of the Luthers. Yep. But but still, this is this is basically an insurance check for yeah. a loss. Yeah, I mean, know? he's he's doing what his company should do. Give yeah. him, yeah, I right. Mean, Even if he didn't know Clark, you know, just still, it just well, oh, when he, when he said that, I was just like, uh. But I think this is isn't this also the moment where we get the line where Jonathan says, "How did you get so wise?" I got it. Yeah, I got it written right. It's right. It says. Uh, um, Jonathan said, I know he is Clark talking about Lex. He's trying to do the right thing. He says, I, I know he didn't try to buy me off. He's just trying to repay me for damages that he thinks he caused. You're right. I got no real reason to doubt him. It's just something in my gut tells me I should. And then Clark says, Lex isn't perfect, Dad. I know that. But slamming the door in his face over and over only helps turn him into exactly what you think he already is. And then Jonathan asked Clark when he got to be so wise, 
And of course, Clark says, ask my dad. I love that. I love that line. That's a great father-son Jonathan Clark moment uh, where both of them get to be the people that we want them to be. Yeah. Uh, But it also also is textualizing what we talked about, Lex, you know, trying to do the right thing and Jonathan maybe pushing him further the wrong way. Uh, But it's it's done in this all shucks, all American, you know, pie sort of way. But I, you know, I spent my life hanging around teenagers. That maybe sound weird, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm a beef pastor, so that's what I've been around with. And you know, they they can be more wise, and they can offer more than you know most people give them credit for. So you know, so don't take teenagers as just you know dumb teenagers that spend all day on TikTok. They they have some stuff they can offer. Uh, so we get a scene back at the Talon with Clark and Lana. Lana has another vision, this time of Chloe uh, tied up, and she's in some building. It's really. The, like the lenses on the, the camera are kind of opaque, so it's kind of hard to see because they're trying to, you know, create this vision element. But it looks like teddy bears in bags hanging from the ceiling. That's not creepy. Uh, not creepy at all. And do you know what that effect is called? No. Obscura. Oh. That's what that's the title of the episode. It's the effect that the camera has with this little pinhole looking thing is called Obscura. Well, there we because we've mentioned before that some of the naming conventions of the show don't make sense yeah. for the titles. Yeah, but that one yeah. does. So. I mean, if you didn't, you know, if, if you don't know what obscura means, it's just like I don't know, have a clue. But now, I mean, it fits perfectly. All right. Uh, we get that the scene where uh, before that happens, where Pete and Clark are talking, and Pete's all excited about yeah, he how is. he has a date. For the hottest the girl in school. Hottest? Did you? Did I mention it was Erica Fox, the hottest girl in school? No, I, I love, <laughs> I love his little, his little dance there. And some swagger. But what, what I really like about that is that we, we've suspected, and it became textual a few episodes back, where Pete is in love with Chloe. Pete feels towards Chloe the same way Clark feels towards Lana. But it's very clear that Clark and Chloe are kind of moving together. Yeah. So I kind of feel like maybe part of this braggadocio behavior is also sour grapes over chloe yeah you know it's like it's performative because of it's not chloe so it has to be the hottest girl in school yeah but his his secret to to getting the hottest girl in school is that he asked her and he said tell clark to basically to man up and ask somebody yeah i love that somebody before it's too late yep uh, so then we finally, again, we, we, so I, I jumped ahead. So now Lana sees Chloe. Then we actually go to Chloe's POV and Chloe being Chloe, love her. She gets herself out or does it really good. She, she gets the tape binding her arms. She undoes her legs. She tries to get away. Uh, apparently she's dealing with an invisible person because this happens way too often on Smallville. Yep. Someone who is clearly not there is now suddenly there. And uh, she looks through this, this, like door that's got all these holes drilled in. It's almost like a grate sort of thing. And she sees what looks to be like a big steel coffin or box. And his, her attacker, who's wearing a I don't have BDSM a clue. mask, I that's guess. That's almost I what it looks know. like, the red it, eyes. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, it doesn't look like something you buy off the JCPenney rack. No. Um, he takes the syringe, and there's like this green liquid, because of course it's green. Of course it is. Jabs her in the neck. And drugs her, and it looks like she is falling unconscious as yeah. we we go to the again. Act. So this is something I don't know. Maybe you don't know. I've recently gone to the hospital. I had a kidney stone attack. It's something I've dealt with my whole life. It's awful. I hope no one else ever has to deal with it. And they put an IV in my arm, and they gave me some of the good stuff all because right. kidney stones really really hurt, right? But I see this in all kinds of TV shows where someone has some sort of 
syringe drug and they just jab people in the neck yeah that's good if hurt. you just jab morphine into like my neck muscle is it really going to cause like doesn't it have to go into the uh, to the bloodstream you would you would think so i mean maybe it, it it gets absorbed but if it does i would imagine it probably takes a little longer than what they would show on the tv actually i have no <sighs> idea i'm not a medical expert i can ask some friends later but but yeah I mean, i've seen you see it all the time jab it into the neck and i'm like What's that going to do? Like going to their spinal cord, man? Because it's like a 12-inch long needle. Yeah. You would think, honestly, it was almost like you stabbed her with a knife. Like yeah. I could see her dying from that. It, it was such a savage yeah. puncture. You know, maybe it hit the carotid artery. But again, that can kill you. Yeah. Uh, so I'll make this our first call to action for anyone listening, the, the 30 or so people that seem to be listening to the show right now. If any of you are a medical professional – can you just stab someone in the neck area with a drug and it be that effective? Yeah. Yes, you know, is that just movie hoo ha? I feel like it's. I feel like it's probably just movie. I feel like if if you do get any of the drug in you, it, like I said, it would take a lot longer than what you see on TV because it's not going straight into the bloodstream. So it might absorb, but I, I feel like it would take a lot longer than it does on a movie. Yeah. If my any. layman opinion, my ignorant opinion, is that you are correct and that that's a movie magic thing. But yeah. I'd be interested to know. Yeah, we'll find out. All right. So, anything else in the first act? I know I jumped around a little bit on you. No, that's it, man. Say, close the fighter. Yeah, she is. I again, I love the fact that she she got caught, but she got herself out of that initial jam first, and yeah. then you know she went down fighting, passed out again. Yes, and she goes unconscious again. So we go into our second act, and Chloe's father brings in the cops, but they don't seem too interested in Lana's vision, though one seems more so than the other. Lex and Nixon visit a former crop duster who thinks he saw a spaceship the day the meteors fell. Lana has yet another vision, and Clark is finally able to find and rescue her, but is seen doing so by Chloe's attacker. Or is he? Dun, 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 mystery. All right, second act. What are you thinking? Okay, I'm childish. I spend my time with teenagers. Anytime I hear the word crop duster, I can think of just like somebody <laughs> farting in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm just a child. Um, all right. But uh, but yeah, like I said, this, this is kind of some weird stuff. Because you have, you know, the, the cops come. I don't know why they would call the cops. Because who's going to believe a story? I mean, they're okay. I can kind of believe why some people might believe that Lana's seeing stuff because weird stuff happens on a weekly basis to these small group of teenagers. And so I can kind of see these cops being like, you know what, let's go check on this, you know, because weird things happen to these people. If weird stuff follows them. And I can see the yeah. other hand where someone have visions, that's stupid. You know, I can, I can see both. So I agree, but... You know, if we're going to try to, because I think part of the conceit of this show, our show, I mean, is that I love Smallville, but it's got some silliness in yeah. it. And I don't, I don't mind calling out the silliness. Yeah. But it's also predicated on the fact that this is a real world and everything these characters are doing is because of motivations that make sense for the character, not just because someone wrote it down for them to say. Yeah. So if we were to believe that there is a place called Smallville in Kansas that had all these meteor rocks and we see all the things that we see in a week-to-week -week basis, there has to be other things happening that just aren't important enough for the show. Yeah. So if you're law enforcement or medical professional or EMT in Smallville, you have seen some stuff, my yeah. friend. Yeah, So. Is Visions really that far? How many wrecks do these people get? They just had a gas main explosion. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like this happens all the time. Yeah. So 
I can see both ways again. Like it makes sense. You you expect the deputies to be like what we came here for these this person's visions. Yeah. But also to be like, well, you know, three weeks ago we had that kid that could tell the future fifteen minutes in front of himself. Maybe this isn't such a stretch, yeah. you know? Yeah, we had a kid that was a bug. I mean, there's all kinds of <laughs> you know, they've seen some stuff and so you can they may not believe you with their face and their facial expressions, but maybe it's somewhere deep down inside they're like, Maybe they're right. I wonder what the per capita death rate is in Smallville. It's it gotta be worse than worse than Detroit. Has to, I mean, it's just off the charts, yeah. and they're half of them are unexplained insurance Assumed rates, murders, yeah, yeah. So, so I kind of wonder how many deputies they have because it's the same two deputies that show up at the Talon as that showed up at the gas main yeah. explosion. But Smallville has to have like seventy eight cops, right? It just it has to, yeah. I mean, they go through quite a few. <laughs> so even though cops don't really believe Lana, or at least again, one of them seems to be more than the other, and this is setting up what will somewhat be a bit of a mystery reveal is which one of these cops is maybe the bad guy. Spoilers. Spoilers. But uh, we get a call. Gabe, uh, Chloe's dad, gets a phone call. Chloe's car has been found abandoned. So even though they may not believe Lana's visions, something did happen Something's going on. Uh, We get a scene of Lex uh, driving his Porsche in this little rural country road chicken farmhouse. Uh, And this is Roger Nixon's uh, source and we find this crop duster who probably farts in public yeah i'm sure he does it looks uh, like he does believes that when he he was actually in the sky with his plane the day the meteors fell and he swears that one of the meteors took like a sudden left turn at albuquerque which shouldn't be possible with a meteorite Physics. so maybe could it possibly be a spaceship because he calls it a ship why not call it a ufo i mean because if He's probably flying, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour. I don't know, because it wasn't a very big plane. Um, and then a meteor, if it's going at terminal velocity, it's 120 miles an hour. And it said it fell behind him like 10 feet from his tail. That thing's booking it, and you're kind of yeah. moving. And so for him just to see it and to say, oh, it's a ship, instead of like a UFO, that just that just seemed like a weird phrase. Like he maybe he's... Over the years, maybe he called it UFO at first. Maybe he's over the years he's called it. He's he's kind of changed and said it's a ship. Now he's thinking about it more. And well, I don't know. Maybe again, I may just be nitpicking a little too much. Well, I mean, but I do think it's an interesting question. My my personal opinion is they called it a ship because the ship the Clark Kent has been called a ship before. Yeah, because we know a ship yeah. many many times, and I think they're wanting to make that connection. connection yeah, but it could also be that there's a pretty strong negative connotation. When you say UFO, UFO. people yeah. immediately seem to dismiss you. Though maybe they shouldn't, because apparently the Navy just came out like a month ago and said, yeah, there's yeah, UFOs. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, uh, which it's another thing where like popular culture and like common sense doesn't always line up. UFO stands for unidentified flying object. It doesn't mean spaceship. Nope. It just means something we don't know what it is that seemed to which be Which is flying. why I think, you know, if you said a UFO, that would make more sense possibly than saying ship. You, yeah, you know. I, I agree. I think UFO is what probably would have been said if it wasn't this show. This show, yeah. Of course. Uh, this is also the scene where we get the very swarmy uh, image of Roger Nixon. So if you ever wanted to, like, a visual identifier of what swarmy means, just look at that scene of Roger Nixon standing there after Lex kind of casually dismisses him. Yeah. Uh, we get a, a weird moonrise clip that is clearly, like, B stock footage from like a nature documentary. It doesn't fit the aesthetic of the show whatsoever. Look nice. It does look nice, but it, <laughs> it doesn't it's also fit. 
It doesn't fit at all. Stands out. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Clark sitting in his barn loft, and uh, just another by Pete Yorn begins to play. This is our first true needle drop. But yep. again, the the lyrics of the song don't seem to really fit. But the sort of the mood of the and the tone fits this Lana coming to Clark, confiding in him, worried about Chloe, and they have a bit of a moment. And we get this really nice story about how Clark and Chloe met. Now, way later in the series, we're going to get a flashback that kind of changes yeah. history a little bit. Kind of reconciled. But we learned that they met in eighth grade. Clark was assigned to show her around, uh, which somehow ended up with them going back to his barn. Ooh. Don't know why. Showing around should mean school, not yeah. Clark's barn. And then Chloe just gives him a kiss and says, you know what? I've been, I know you've been thinking about that all day, but let's just get out of the way and be friends. And that feels exactly like Chloe. Yeah. Like I, that's a perfect bit of writing. And I loved everything about the scene. I loved Lana. I loved Clark. I loved the story. I absolutely loved this whole scene. So I love, like I said, I love the music. I remember when this was on, like I said, I, I mean, I, I remember vividly sitting at my house watching these episodes and, and hearing these songs. And I, I feel like Smallville was one of the first shows that incorporated a lot of mainstream music. I, I remember at the end of each episode, they would tell you, like, this song was by, you know, and give you the several several artists that sang the songs. And so, like Smallville music has always been just a big part of it. And so um, I loved it so much and my wife loved it so much that we actually had a, a song from the season one finale, um, Everything by Lifehouse, that was actually part of our wedding. Hmm. Um, I think I feel like cause Lifehouse, they got, maybe incorrect to say, but I feel like they got their start because of Smallville. In my mind, those are combined and that may be disingenuous to the Lifehouse, but yeah. they were very popular, and that's why they were on the show. But in my mind, I don't remember them being popular. They though. exploded because of the show. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there's lots of needle drops, but in my mind, if you were to say, you know, pick a band, Smallville, it's going to be Lifehouse. Oh, for sure, for sure. And so, like I said, so I love the scene again, just the music, and yeah, the lyrics may not fit, but just the tone and the way the melody sounds, it, it fit. Definitely. Uh, so as Lana's leaving, which again, she. I mean, I, th I think we've established that her house is like a mile or two yeah, and away. He can, he can see it in his telescope. So Telescope. Uh, but so she still, you know, walked kind of a long way to talk to him for 10 minutes and then leave. She rode a horse uh, she had earlier, I guess. True, true, yeah. Uh, but as she's leaving, she has another vision of Chloe being buried in a grave beneath a windmill. And it was very convenient that the, uh, as you mentioned, the coffin was built with like a cross window so we could see in and see that it was actually Chloe. Yeah. That was nice. Clark thinks that this might be Chandler's field when Lana mentions that there was a windmill. But literally like two episodes ago, they the end of the episode with them climbing the top of Chandler's it, field She was windmill. too scared to get up there, and then he went with her. Right. So you think she would be like, it's the windmill in Chandler's field if, if they were going to connect that. Like, it would have made more sense for me if he's like, Chandler's field? And she's like, no. And then he's like, oh, it must be this one then. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that it just didn't make any sense. No, to me. it doesn't. Doesn't flow. Doesn't. No continuity there between what she should know, you know, or whatever. Uh, but Clark thinks he obviously recognizes it, so he races to get help, which is Clark speak for me. Super speed over there yep. with no concern that people are going to figure out that I did some super. Uh, we get a shot inside the coffin, and there's of course a green glowing glow stick, which those are green glowing glow sticks. Yeah, those are common. But but still, Smallville is perfectly as green. But why? But but why? So I guess so she could see that she was buried. I guess okay. Again, now that you you have the episode, I don't want to jump ahead and, and spoil anything. But you have hindsight. You know, 
the purpose of why she was buried. Right. And so maybe it was there to help kind of fulfill the purpose. Like I'm trying to answer it without revealing too much. Right. And so maybe that's why it's in there. That 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 would maybe explain. That's the only thing I can even think of that would explain it. Yeah, it, it doesn't make. I don't think there's a. And good that's not even a good. Yeah, that's not even a good explanation either. So. We could come up with them, but I don't think there's a good. No. One. Uh, so Clark zooms over to Chandler's field. He he climbs up on the windmill a little bit. Uses his X-ray vision. Sees the coffin in the ground, and he just basically punches into the ground and rips it whole from. So earlier we have him, re, you know, free this U bend. And to show his super strength, here we get an actual holy crap Superman moment where he just like, this thing's probably, it looks like it's made out of solid steel. It's probably 400 pounds. At least. And he punches into the ground, grabs it, and pulls it free all in one quick motion. Opens it up, and it looks to me like Chloe's unconscious, maybe from loss of oxygen. It's hard to say. Maybe she's still being drugged. I don't yeah. know. But I think maybe she went unconscious. Because well, she, she takes that big breath. So I feel like she's was unconscious or because she didn't have oxygen. There's a lot in this yeah. scene that I kind of want to talk about here. Because you have yeah, go for it. when he climbs up on top of the windmill and he looks out and he sees this field like he's panning it and then he looks and then he focuses and turns quote unquote turns on his X-ray vision and it, he just so happens to be looking in the exact spot where this coffin is. Again, there's a lot of convenient things happening. And then he goes over, and then he punches the top of the coffin. Not even worried about what's going to happen to Chloe in case maybe he punches a little too hard. Maybe part of the, the steel or the plexiglass or glass, whatever it is, shatters and gets her in her neck. You know, he doesn't have, he has no qualms about doing this and saving Chloe. He's just so pumped on adrenaline. He's got to do this. And then Chloe inside of this thing, who knows how long, maybe five minutes, maybe 30, I don't know. But like I said, I watch too much TV. I remember a Mythbusters episode from back in 2003 when Mythbusters did a Buried Alive episode. And uh, Jamie is inside the box, and he's able to hang out in there for about 50 minutes before he needs to get pulled out. This is without any dirt on him. And then when he put the dirt on him, he's able to do about 30 minutes, and then he was he was done. And so either she can take a big breath, or that, ox- or that glow stick had some oxygen coming out of it. I don't know. Um... There's a lot in this scene that was kind of weird, and and yeah, you had to take some big leaps, um, to to believe it, kind of a thing. Which again, this is Smallville, this is CW, this is what we do, right? And so like I said, so it's still cool though. But like I said again, don't be punching that thing if she's right, like right there in front of her face. Yeah, and we've seen this before. Like there's an episode where uh, Lana is entombed in an actual tomb, yeah. and he also punches and breaks it in half. Very easily, half of that could have fallen in and crushed her because you know it's really heavy and she's really fragile. Yeah, I have the I have a book here in my office that's got that seat like it's got a picture of Clark there in the graveyard with it on the cover somewhere here in my office, and that's yeah he, he doesn't think very well before he does some of these things. So Chloe's very emotional, and I think she says here, "It's you, it's always you." Uh, yeah. She's crying. It's very good acting from Allison Mack. She's an amazing Chloe. They kind of embrace. And then we find out that they're being watched from the wood line. And I think the show wants us to believe, and I'm expecting to believe, that this is the person who buried her is still nearby. Later, it turns out that maybe that's not true. Yeah. But that's also confusing because later at the end of the episode, we find out why she was buried and what the kidnapper's plan was. They would have needed to have been really close by. Yeah. To to do what they wanted to do with her, not to die from asphyxiation. So 
are there two people watching and we just don't get to see that there's yeah, it's kind of weird. It doesn't, it's unclear. It doesn't work. But I also wonder if should Clark have used his x-ray vision to look around? Because like the the place that it was buried, it was pretty well covered. Like it didn't look like a normal grave where you've got like this bare earth mound. It, it was pretty well camouflaged, yeah. which in itself is kind of like impossible if you think about it. So she had to have been there for a little while. So maybe it's reasonable to assume no one else around. He's in a hurry, so maybe he doesn't care as much. Yeah. But he also has x-ray vision. It would have taken two seconds for him to do a sweep of the area, x-ray vision, to make sure no one was crouching by looking. But, of course, he doesn't because he's Clark. Yeah, because, you know, his, like I said, his adrenaline's pumping. His his friend is in a coffin, possibly dying, if not dead. Uh, he was out in the field that's with nobody else around that, he, that, of course, he knew of. He was on a busy street corner somewhere where, you know, in a city where he hits, hits a bus and stops a bus, whatever. And so I can kind of see how he would make that assumption that nobody else is around. And so, again, he's a teenager. They don't always think things through. And so uh, I can I can see him just acting on impulse and just doing this quickly. True. You know, again, if I had superpowers, who knows how yeah. irresponsibly I would have used them when I was 14 years Heck old. Yeah, I'd be but, doing all kinds oh, of stuff I probably shouldn't be doing. Oh, yeah, but I also wasn't 6'3 and carved from marble. Exactly. So here then we jump into our third act. Clark and Lana visit Chloe, who's in the hospital. Clark and Chloe appear affectionate, and Lana seems to be getting third wheel vibes. Mm. Uh, she then gets another vision of the kidnapper watching her. That's creepy. Which is actually creepy. At the farm, someone is watching Clark use his powers from afar. Lex has bought the field where the quote-unquote ship crashed, and Jonathan, seeing him there digging, gets upset and gives him back the uncashed check. Dr. Hamilton brings something to Lex that seems important from their digging in the field. Whitney finds something of his father. Clark makes a leap on how Lana got her powers and thinks the kidnapper is one of the two deputies that were at the explosion. They race to warn her, warn her, but the deputies get there first. So right off the bat, Chloe in a hospital bed. So of course. Gotta have her in the hospital bed. Uh, she gets a call from the Daily Planet. They want to interview her about her story, but of course Chloe's not going to have anything to do with that. She should have, on the phone, she should have been like, uh, I don't want to do that interview, but let me do my interview for my internship. She should turn it around. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, again, I'll give her a little oh, leeway because she just had tremendous. Yeah, I know. But that, that would have been a very Chloe Line. move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Clark is there. Chloe, you know, is emotional and rightfully so. And she doesn't want to be alone. And, you know, Clark makes her feel safe and protected as he should. So she asks if Clark can stay. And Clark, of course, says yes. But this means he's now letting Lana leave, even though a, a, a girl of the same age from the same school was abducted. We don't know yet by who or for what reason. So I think it's reasonable to assume there's a kidnapper loose in Smallville. I kind of find it very irresponsible that Clark wouldn't say, let me get a ride for you. Let me call. A you know, he just lets Lana leave. This is where we get the serial kidnapper part in. Yes, Absolutely. Lana seeing herself is actually pretty creepy. I, I'll, I'll give the show credit. When when we see her seeing herself, I was like, that's effective. I like that. Yeah, that'd be, I would I would not know what to do if I had that vision and all of a sudden someone's walking up behind me. That would be terrifying. Yeah, it, it would be very, very confusing. So then we get a scene the next day. I guess Clark stayed at the hospital the entire yeah, night. Yeah, that's his, his, Jonathan was kind of bummed. He's like, um, it's about time you show up to help me. And I'm like, and he's like, how long were you there? And he's like, all night. I'm like, well, you can't be upset. And then <sighs> glad your son was, you know, you can't, 
just pick one emotion here, man. <laughs> well, he's so used to Clark doing everything guess, because yeah. he can't run a farm. No. So he, if Clark wasn't there, the farm would go under even faster. Yeah. Uh, but I always like some of the simple effects they use to show Clark's strength. And this is one of those where, uh, you know, Jonathan is making a big show of every sack of grain he's bending down, throwing over his shoulder, yeah. lifting up, back straight, walking over to the truck. And then when Clark walks in, he's grabbing two or three in each hand. Yeah. But... But it's kind of ruined because if you watch, these are supposed to be filled with like small, grain. Bait, yeah, pick, small grains. If you picked it up by like you know like a claw hand, it would double over. Yeah. But the, all the ones that Clark has are stiff as a board. Like basically, they've got styrofoam inside of them. They, there was a little, so it's like, a little give, but not like not like it should. Yeah, not like it should. Uh, they do the same thing with hay bales a lot, where they'll show Jonathan picking a hay bale and Clark grabs like five. That one I don't know how they do because it's not as obvious. I, I like to think maybe they're hollowed out and there's just like hay yeah. Heli- yeah. helium inside of, or maybe it's just our foam made to look like hay. Yeah. Uh, but this one was was fun, but also very noticeable. Yeah. Uh, but we see somebody watching them through binoculars, which we again I think are to assume it's the kidnapper who saw Clark rescue Chloe last night because we have the scene of somebody watching them. Yeah. And now they followed Clark home because they've now caught on to who he is. So many peeping Toms in this show. Yes, there's so many. <laughs> but once the grain's loaded, they get in the truck, they're off for delivery. As they're driving, Clark's and Jonathan see Lex with a whole bunch of people in this field. They're all, a bunch of them are wearing hazmat suits and they got like metal detectors and they're digging and Jonathan becomes very visibly upset, pulls off the side of the road. And I love, there's this little moment of, oh crap, through like when Lex realizes that Jonathan and Clark are there. He's he's all excited about what's going on, but there's yeah. a very visible, oh no. Man. And I just, I love that little moment. It was great. Yeah. So Jonathan kind of calls out like, what are you doing? And Lex is like, oh, we're thinking about building here, but you know, we just want to make sure that it's safe. We had this, you know, recent thing with hazmat. You might've heard about it. So our record with the EPA is not great. And it's very clear. This is a lie. Yeah. He's like, we want to buy it. And so we're doing some uh, soil samples, but those hazmat suits, give it away that you're not there. Soil samples. Yeah. You don't do soil samples in head to toe hazmat suits. No. Maybe in Smallville you should. Maybe. But you don't. Yeah. Uh, again, Jonathan here is a bleeping idiot. He gets very upset and angry, and he gives the check back. Now, again, we know why. Yeah. It still doesn't make sense to me. Like, I think he's just angry, and he wants to sh- to lash out, and that's the way he chooses to do it. I think it would be more effective to cash the check and buy a Lamborghini with it. Yeah. Uh, but, but giving the check back makes no sense, other than show that, Jonathan is an irrational person and should not be in charge of running a farm. He, he almost let his hand slip there because, like I said, we know why he doesn't want to get involved with the Luthers. And so he, he almost let his hand slip in a way because then, and then uh, he comes back, he says they can trace it back, you know, they can trace his field back to, they finally think they can trace it back to us. I'm like, well, that's, that seems kind of far-fetched, I guess, to see how, how will they trace it to you. Um, but I guess when your son is an alien, uh, you might need to live on the cautious side, I guess. Yeah, but one could argue that there that Jonathan's irrational behavior, and particularly at this moment in this field, is what will let them lead back. Because if if they just found evidence of a crashed UFO, for example, in this field, I think a lot of people would be like, "Wow, that's really weird." 
And then on top of it, yeah, and then Jonathan was acting really weird that day. He seemed like he didn't want me to be there. Yeah. Oh, by the way, wasn't Clark adopted? And like, yeah. you're you're connecting pieces for people that would not be connected if you played it cool and casual. Yeah, if you're just a candle, a casual bystander, you know, drove by and saw your friend there, and you stopped to talk to him. That's one thing. But if you go and you get angry, you throw the check back at him basically, and be like, "That's like I said, that's tipping your hand and kind of showing, hey, something's a little fishy about this piece of land." You're showing emotion for a reason. When you shouldn't be showing emotion. There's something about this that's causing you to have an emotional reaction. Yeah. It shouldn't take a, a super genius to figure out this is weird. Yeah. Uh, while this is happening, though, Dr. Hamilton shows up, and he's got something. We can't see it. Nope. And he shows it to Lex, and we still don't see it. But both of them are like, ooh, ah, this is incredible. But But it's just a big tease because we don't know what it is we find out later it keeps you coming back after the commercial i I guess that's why because this is clearly important but we don't know what it is yet so back we have a scene at the talon where whitney stops by and shares that he found some of his dad's medals from vietnam and it seems like whitney's on the cusp of leaving the show yeah which 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 makes sense because all these characters the main characters are freshmen in high school he's a senior so it, it would just naturally make sense that he would be leaving the show because he's graduating high school. So that just makes sense. And so like I, said, I guess the next episode is where we kind of see him taking those next steps. Cause he talks about here being a hero. He said, people call me a hero on the football field or whatever. And that's, that's not what a hero is. My dad was a hero. And so we kind of see mm-hmm. him thinking through these things, but you know, you can kind of see that maybe his dad has implanted this hero-ness into him, I guess. Cause you see all the right. things he does. And so that kind of puts him on his trajectory that he's going to go on for the, his, his character arc. But it makes me curious, and this isn't like a negative or positive, it's just me thinking that, yes, it makes sense for Whitney to be the senior jock who has the freshman girlfriend that Clark wants. That that makes him a foil to Clark. It gives a bit of a triangle. Yeah. But it also makes sense that after his senior year, Whitney would go away. So knowing now that Whitney was going to leave after the year – I, it feels a little weird that how much screen time, like, I feel like they, they did more to make him a more rounded character than they needed to. Yeah. And it's just interesting that they chose to do that. Cause they, they could have made him truly despicable. The, the absolute awful person, the, the mustache twirling villain, yeah. but, but they didn't. And they give him a weirdly heroic send off. Which and it's just, it's like a it's kind of a, an interest. I'm not saying weird decision. It's an yeah. interesting decision. I'm curious as to what the thought. I would like to talk to someone that was there to like what was the thought process of trying to make him a well-rounded character. Yeah. But knowing he's only there for one season and he's gone anyways, like wouldn't that time have been better spent developing maybe a relationship of like Petey? Pete, yeah. There's several episodes that he's in for like four seconds. Yeah, he's barely in this episode. Yeah, he's in the first three seasons, like. Maybe give us more Pete. Yeah, because I think so. I don't. Know. I think if I, if I feel like I remember reading somewhere that that Pete is a series regular, Whitney is not, and so I, I wonder if if like so they maybe had Whitney not as a season regular at the beginning, but maybe because of his character and what they were doing, wanted to make him kind of progress a little bit more. So maybe they kind of took on a little bit more than they could handle when they were writing his character, and at the end of the first season, they're like, "Oh crap, we got to do something with this guy." You know, I, I don't know. I could. That's just speculation. But you know, like I said, I don't. I fe't I feel like Whitney was not like a season regular at the beginning of the show. 
Yeah, I don't I don't remember if he he was or not. I think we would have covered that. Uh, I, we probably covered him as a Caesar series regular yeah. at the beginning. I don't know for sure, but uh, but yeah, just it's just interesting. Like I just don't I don't understand. That. I'm not saying it's negative yeah. at all, or, or it's just it, I don't understand the process, and I would like to. Yeah. Uh, so we get a scene of Lex stopping by unannounced uh, at the loft where Clark is looking at some old pics. Yet again, Clark should have known that he was there because Lex had to drive because I don't think he walked from Lana's house. No, he did not. Uh, and Clark's loft, as we've seen many times, looks over the road that people would drive to. So he should have known he was there. Where Clark is looking at some old pics. Yeah. There's, there's a good line here where, where Lex says, um, the past is always influencing the present. And that he can't change that. I like that. Uh, like I said, you know, the things that we've been through in our life, the stuff that we've encountered and experienced, those are always going to formulate our choices we make, the things we do. And so it's a very poignant line, and it's a lot of truth and, and deepness, I guess, to that line. And it, it also very much Jonathan. Like, yeah. that's exactly what Jonathan's doing. His The, the past though we as show watchers are still ignorant of yeah. why and what is influencing Jonathan's behavior exactly. right now. Yeah. We have a moment of Chloe and Clark and Whitney meet up at the torch. Clark thinks he's figured out Lana's power. This has all happened off screen. Clark on his own has just done some research. It would have been like a three hour episode if they would have included the scene. Yes. It would just been him like Googling <laughs> stuff. But he believes that one of the kidnappers is one of the deputies is the kidnapper because Lana manifested some sort of connection because of the explosion. So he asked Whitney, which deputy got to her first, which one touched her first? Cause he thinks that's the one that would have manifested this yeah. connection, but Whitney's not sure, but they're going to find out. They don't call her. They just all decide to drive to the town. And there's a moment here and I don't understand. It's kind of funny I don't either. where Whitney's like, I'll drive. And both of them are like, no, yeah, Chloe will drive because it wasn't. It wasn't a very subtle no either. It was like, uh, no. It was yeah, like <laughs> no. Are you are you crazy? And and then there's this weird look that passes between them. And the only thing I can imagine is this is a nod to the fact that Whitney wrecks his truck all the time because yeah. in the show he's wrecked it. I think two two times at least, maybe three. But it doesn't play like that's what it is. Yeah, something's going it on. It plays as this, I don't understand what it's for, but I want it to be because he breaks the truck at the time, but I would have expected like another line to sell home, like you're on your third truck this season or, you know, you're something. Yeah, this, this year, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, who knows. <laughs> I need to go back, look at my, I have the box DVD sets. I need to go back and see if, like there's some deleted scenes and maybe they answer some of these questions. Oh, that, yeah, because I'm, again, I'm streaming everything on Hulu. I don't have access to those. That that might be something fun to track down. Uh, so we go back to the Talon where Deputy Vertigo shows Such up cool to name. ask Lon- It is a cool name. And it's, <laughs> Vertigo. I feel like they, I feel like they're trying to make it, like the show wants us to think this is the guy. His attitude towards Lana was more negative. Vertigo kind of fits with the Obscura, but yeah. maybe that's her weird You have some sensation. of that um, Hitchcock vibe going, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that the show wants us to believe that, that is, that's the bad guy. Yeah. So he, the deputy, shows up to talk to Lana uh, to ask her more questions. But it's a misdirect because very shortly, Deputy Watts shows up and actually knocks him out. But we don't quite see that i don't think we see that there you see but yeah you see him you see him punch him in the back or hit him in the back outside of the head yeah you see that because you see from you see lana's seeing through his eyes lana's, oh, lana's yeah, yeah. got her back to to both of them and then and then uh, vertigo gets knocked out and then lana takes a really really 
really long time to turn around, and then when she does, she screams, I guess because he has a BDSM mask or whatever. But she takes a long time to turn around, which I guess I, I probably would too. If I know that I can see through somebody's eyes behind me, I may take a while to turn around too. Well, you must look at like that like mirror infinity effect if you look in That's the true. eyes of the person looking at you. Like It might have like caused her mind. That would not but, be good. Uh, but just a quick reminder, because it's come up a lot recently, Lana at this time is 14 or 15 years old. So she should not be questioned by authorities without the presence of a parent or guardian. But she's running a, if she could run a coffee shop by herself at 14, she can be questioned <laughs> by the cops by herself. Yeah, I, I love that when, when they first came up with this, uh, the idea of Lana running the coffee shop, they, they sort of give like a uh, lip service to the fact that she's a minor by talking about Nell will be involved. You know, she's going to learn how to run it through her, mm-hmm. but immediately she's basically running the store by yeah. herself. She's closing at night, but she can't even make coffee. We saw that at the very beginning of the season. <laughs> now she's running a coffee shop. She ain't training nobody. Well, you know, I worked in retail for many years. There was a lot of people in managerial positions that could not function on the floor. Yeah. So maybe this, maybe her calling was manager, not waitress. Maybe that's true. I guess maybe she doesn't train people how to make coffee. She sends them somewhere else yes. for that. Uh, so then it takes us to our fourth act, where Clark, Chloe, and Whitney find Deputy Vertigo unconscious at the talent. So another we have one. another unconscious person. He says that Deputy Watts is working security at the old carnival. Deputy Watts just wants to be a hero, and if he can't rescue Chloe, then he'll solve Lana's murder. Clark shows up and saves the day, and Watt is then killed by other law enforcement while Lana watches through his eyes, which is, again, really creepy. Why does Smallville have an old carnival just kind of laying around? I don't know. I, I'm from a pretty small town in Kentucky, and there's like uh, we have our yearly festival. Yeah. It's called the Daniel Boone Festival here because we're actually on the Daniel Boone Trail. Okay. And every year there's a carnival that comes in. But it's a traveling yeah. carnival. Like I said, most it things, shows up, yeah. sets up for a weekend and leaves. Exactly, that's what we have here in, in Texas, and so that's why I was like, "Why is there an old carnival?" It's a, it's almost like the Killing Joke from Joker Batman series. You know, this, the carnival is always there, but, but Gotham's a little bit bigger than Smallville, so I don't know. Yeah, but that explains why the teddy bears are hanging exactly. on the ceiling because these are prizes from the carnival. Yeah. So we got Deputy Watts. He comes in. Lana is now the one tied up, similar to the way Chloe was before. And there's these green lights. And again, I know green lights are a big thing in Smallville, but it's like very obvious that these are green-tinted lights behind him. And it turns out he has a hero complex. And he only kidnapped Chloe so that he could find and rescue her and become a hero. But this begs the question, if his plan was to find Chloe, because he he says Chloe was not supposed to to got hurt. So then he didn't intend for her to die. So he intended for him to rescue her before she died after being buried alive. So he had to have been close by in order for him to dig her up before she died. Otherwise, that's not true. Maybe he's lying to Lana here. Maybe he did intend for her and he was just trying to make make himself seem better. But he's about to kill Lana. So I don't know why he would go through those motions. But, you know, because here's the deal. So we have Clark. He can go through there because it seemed like the... uh, um, coffin was buried pretty nicely underneath the dirt it probably had at least a foot maybe a little bit more on top of the coffin and clark just ripped, you know ripped it and pulled her out and she still had to take a big breath in order to you know have life again if you will and so man, he's gonna kill her because it's gonna take him a little bit yeah. it's gonna take a little bit longer to get her out of that out of the ground out of the coffin than would clark yeah he would if he took a shovel and dug her up and then opened the coffin that's generously 10 minutes the worst hero ever yeah 
You know, if you quit kidnapping people, maybe you'd be a hero. He's, all that's what he says. He goes, I want to be the best cop the city has ever seen. Well, it starts with not kidnapping people to yeah. be the best you cop. Know, you, know what the, you know what the best cop does? Not kidnap Yeah, people. they save them from being kidnapped. Not uh, yeah you yeah you have it all wrong buddy we have a different definition of best cop I think yes uh, but there is that line where he says you know if I can't save Chloe then I'll solve your murder boom that's actually pretty chilling and it's also delivered yeah like that again it almost feels like it doesn't fit in the show yeah. it's like wow that's it's chilling yeah it's a little little intense on that one. So Clark zooms into the old closed-down carnival, uses his X-ray vision, sees the the skeletons. It looks like one's about to shoot the other, and basically jumps in and saves the day. What kind of uniform is he wearing? Because we said earlier, it does kind of look like a BDSM mask, but it's got the red yeah. eyes. But is it like a welder's gear that he's modified? You, is it like a motorcycle jacket? When you, when you see him here, he does he doesn't have the mask on, just the the jacket and it looks like it maybe has a little bit more padding than a normal jacket. So a motorcycle jacket probably is probably what they use. Cause it doesn't look like, like a normal jacket it looks a little thicker, a little more padding. And so I would assume a motorcycle, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's got, you know, vagaries towards like a super villain outfit. It kind of looks like a costume, but it's clearly not see Nixon's I've, I've... suit. And that's all he needed to wear was Nixon's suit. He had on. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Nixon should have played two face. Yeah, would have been, uh, in the he, movie. He would have done pretty good. But, Actually, yeah, I, I I like that now that I That's, think about it. But yeah, it just seems like because we see him welding earlier because this big steel coffin he made it shows him welding. So I mean, that's why I thought maybe it might it was be. Like I guess welding. yeah, cause I guess that's a little thicker maybe. But but it's still yeah, it's, it's kind of so yeah. I don't know. So Clark rushes in. Uh, Deputy Watts, aka the BDSM kidnapper, goes ahead and shoots. Clark tries to catch the bullet, but he doesn't catch it. Instead, he redirects it. It goes upward because for some reason there's a giant mirror on the ceiling. Probably don't want to think about that one too much. Clark then dives over on top of Lana, covering her so that the glass doesn't hit her. And I think you mentioned the notes. Hits him, though. No one seems to question that he doesn't get murdered. Yeah, she's like, hey, Clark, you just showed up out of nowhere for the 35th time. This glass hits you. And... Cool. Let's go. Let's leave. You know, she has no, there's no hesitancy to ask, where'd you come from? Why does glass not hurt you? Why are you, you yeah. know, nothing. How did you get here? Yeah. Where, where is How did here? you know I got here? Yeah. Nothing. Lots, lots of questions that just never get answered. No. Like in a real, in real life, after the show was over, people would be like, okay, I need to know, how did you, how'd you find where's me? Where's your truck? How'd you, you know, how did you get here? But, yeah, but again, they don't answer that. No. Uh, but the, the deputy Watts, basically runs away and the other cops show up and he decides to try to shoot them. They shoot him. And we get the scene of, of Lana looking through his eyes as the bullet comes at him. That was crazy. Again, it doesn't fit the show. It, it seems very dark. Yeah. It was, that was intense. Cause I mean, that's, that's what ended. You, you had that ticket commercial was getting shot in the face and the eyeball. It was intense, man. Uh, and that apparently severs the connection because this ability Lana has isn't true clairvoyance. It's that she can see through Detective Watts' eyes. Once he dies, then, then she can't no longer do it, which how convenient. How convenient. Uh, so I'm kind of counting Deputy Watts as the person that Clark shows his abilities because he zooms in, tries to catch a bullet, zooms over, stops the mirror. But he doesn't isn't actually the one that – I think he throws him against a wall. Yeah. Again, he like Just kind of push like, him out of the way, yeah. So it definitely shows that he's – superhuman, super strong at least, yeah. but then he dies, so you don't have to worry about nope. it. Uh, but that's just the end of the fourth act. There's a lot in this. There's still more show. Man. 
So we open our fifth act and our mystery watcher, who isn't what that we thought it was until this point is not. It's actually Roger Nixon. Oh, man. So, which means Roger Nixon. Dick Tracy villain. Knows Clark's powers. Mm. Is watching as the other deputies show up and we see Clark and Lana turn out together. Man, he's just a creeper following some high school boy around. So um, then we have Chloe comes into the barn finding Clark working in his tight white t-shirt and I said there wasn't a thirsty moment, but you seem to think that maybe this one is it. I mean, he's there. He's got a little sweat, a little grind build up. He's flexing with his shirt, you know, doing the working. And, that, you know, and, and if you look on her face, go back and rewatch it. And she's got a little, little glimmer in her eyes of like, hey, good looking. A uh, handsome farm boy sweating in the barn. Yeah. There's a little bit. Like I said, it's not, it's not, you know, a real big thirsty moment, but you can kind of see it in her eyes. It's like, I like what I'm looking at. And, you know, I'm biased a little bit. I'm a dude, so I'll probably lean towards the female thirst. But there are some very blatant, like, you know, Clark taking his shirt off moments. So maybe this one just wasn't as blatant enough to get yeah. by my biases. Clay turns out she got the internship when they found out about all that. She she wrote up an article about what happened to her, and that was enough to get her the internship. Yep. Clark almost lets the moment slip away, but then he finally asks her to the spring formal. He took Pete's advice. Way to go. He did. And there's no such thing from John Mayer begins to play. And there's no real lyrics here other than stay inside the lines, which makes me wonder, is the show saying maybe he shouldn't have asked her? Because we know, spoilers, doesn't work out well. Yeah. So maybe him staying inside the lines would have meant keeping their friendship pure? Maybe. I don't know. So maybe. like the song is a lovely song, but it doesn't really fit the moment in my opinion. Yeah, it's like, yeah, again, good song. Feels kind of weird. Like that, like yeah. Is it, are we are we reading too much into it, or are we trying? You know, are we reading yeah. what we're supposed to be reading into it? Because so many times these these songs do like they have they're lyrics. On, they're you, on the if nose. You read the lyrics; they're they're perfectly in line with what's happening. Exactly. So when it doesn't, it seems odd. Yeah. And I just want to say I have like a chef's kiss perfection. Clark's, or I should say, Tom Welling's acting of Clark after she says yes. I just think it's perfect. I think it's a perfect distillation of acting. He's so giddy. Because of her reaction, and then this his excitement of going to the dance with her, and he just like I said, you know, I I try to encourage my teenagers not to date because teenagers are stupid sometimes, and um and so but you know he's excited for this this date, and he's just so giddy and so excited. I I, I love that part. Yeah, it's it's really really well done. Uh, and then we have one last scene. Well, we have two scenes, but one major scene back at the mansion is the cold open we did. Dr. Hamilton comes in and he shows the, fra and they call it a fragment. I don't think they should call it a fragment. It's a perfectly shaped, perfectly sized octagon with writing yeah. of an unknown language on it. That's not a fragment. No. That's a piece. No. But it, he, there's, a, there's a really cool scene in Dissolve where Lex is looking at it on his desk. And his desk is glass. So we're seeing from underneath looking up at this octagon shaped fragment which apparently is not from this earth and that dissolves perfectly into the uh, i guess receptacle or aperture on clark's ship where that would go yeah it was pretty cool so there's a key to this ship that no one knew existed and now lex has it man that's gonna set up some future stuff yeah that's gonna be important later but that's uh that's the end of the show so overall yeah. i know we, we kind of jumped to that last act but is there anything else in the fifth act or the show as a whole you wanted to talk about maybe we missed or circle back to no i, I just thought it was like i said you know i thought it was a pretty good episode um there are some weird aspects again you had to take some leaps of logic to to believe some things but in this world that is smallville the world that is weirdness they have the wall of weird 
it's just a you know weird things happen. It's it's normalcy there, and uh, it, it, I thought it was a good episode. You know, Lana seeing through the eyes of of someone who just coincidentally happens to be the bad guy. Of course, you know, again, nice convenient way to does it, but it's again, it's so nice. There's some some good lines, some good dialogue. There's some pretty deep lines and dialogue that are pretty profound. You know, if you mm-hmm. I mean, they can, you can take them outside the show and, and put them in lots of context, and they're still pretty pretty good but so i I liked i enjoyed this this episode yeah i thought it was i thought it was pretty good overall i think the episode before uh, is is it crushed before there's a there's another one before maybe but i I think the episode before this one is like really really good and i think the last the season finale is really really good yeah this one seemed like an odd like it almost feels to me like this wasn't supposed to be episode 20 it was supposed to be a different episode possibly yeah they they, they moved it around because it just other than I guess asking the, the about dates. the spring formal, yeah, yeah. because that's what happens the next episode. Yeah. It 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 just doesn't fit. Like it seems like we were kind of building towards something. This yeah, a little bit odd. But I don't know. I guess the, the whole thing with the ship, the Clark the yeah. spaceship, and likes maybe. But they could have they could have also filmed you know the the asking the formal you know those little scenes could be from another another episode or you know another you know what they could have had um, planned for one episode could have mixed with this episode like i said about doing right. doing my psych podcast when you meet the cat the, the character of juliet she wasn't supposed to be around until the fourth episode but they wanted to introduce her early so they kind of reworked some things and had her come in on the second episode and so that that may could have been something happened in the writer's room mm. who knows yeah it, it'd be interesting to know but but we may not yeah know. we're probably never gonna know probably never gonna know uh, and then I like to ask my man versus Superman thesis question. Uh, you've been listening to our episode, so you actually are already familiar with this. So I don't have to explain the whole thing to you, but I feel like the thesis of the show is man versus Superman. Yeah. So looking at this episode through that lens, how do you think this episode falls? I think he was mostly man here. Um, while he did use his powers to save people, like I said, it wasn't a whole lot in this episode. I think a lot of this episode comes down to his relationship with Chloe and and, and also and Lana and Lex and, and seeing this thing. So I think... That was a bigger part of this episode was his relationship as as a man, as a human, with Chloe and getting this question out of the way, this date. And I think that's a bigger deal than the, the Superman. Yeah, it almost feels like him asking Chloe to the dance was a more more effort than the superhero. Yeah, part. And yeah, probably. We also have the Whitney stuff, which isn't a perfect analogy, but you know, very much hero war hero seeing his dad you know searching for his place in this world yep. i think also fits in this being more of a man versus yeah i agree episode. all right so thank you so much ryan for hanging out with me yeah, man, now you, you get a chance to ask a pass the torch question for our next co-host all right who is actually alan by the way oh it's alan that. yeah hey yeah, he, uh, he's he did the first and yeah. he's doing the last oh, cool. episode awesome well hello alan you better be listening to this or you're fired um <laughs> all right um and then you can also just answer me just message me directly alan with your answer too uh, if you could vacation for one week at any location in the Smallville canon, Smallville universe, uh, where would you spend that week? Mm, My wife's a travel right. agent, so I got the travel mind. And so where would you spend a week in Smallville world? All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had thank a good you. time. Yeah. Uh, one more time, let people know where they can find you and the other things that you do on the internet. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Mini Minister. Uh, Instagram is Mini Minister Ryan. Uh, and I have the podcast. I've heard it both ways for the Psych TV show, and then our student ministry one is Fan and Student Ministry. If you ever want to hear, we teach about the Bible. 
All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you for uh, having so me. So as for myself, of course, I'm Michael at the RPG Academy. Most things I do relate to the RPG world. I do a lot of podcasting and Twitch streaming, YouTube and that kind of stuff. Other than this show, which does have its own Twitter handle and Facebook page. And I have an email. So if you want to email the show for any reason, it's uh, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. Uh, and just a reminder to stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fancast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked remains at 23 because we had no vehicles wrecked this time. So we have three by meteor strike, one by driving into a meteor strike zone, one by driving off a bridge, one due to bug swarm, one due to meteor freak attack, which was bug boy on Whitney's truck, one by power kinesis, one which was hit by Tina while driving the Kent truck while trying to run down Martha as she was shapeshifted to look like Clark. One, when Clark is tossed onto it from the barn loft by Tina. One, when Whitney swerves to Miss Sean and runs off the road. One, when Clark throws young Harry across a parking lot onto a car, smashing the roof and blowing out the windows. One, when Jody hits a terribly rendered CGI deer with her car. One, when Clark drops a safe on it from the fifth floor. One, blows up after being set on fire. One, is crushed by a fallen body. One, is flipped side over side by Eric while chasing Brent. One, when Clark is thrown on top of it by Eric. Two police cars are found destroyed, one on fire and one thrown through the roof of a house by Eric, though this does have an off-screen. One, when Mr. Beals runs himself off the road trying to get around Jonathan Kitt. It's wrecked and then explodes. Uh, one, when Martha hit Ryan with her car. And then one, telekinesis principal Quan uh, by Adam Brody. Total number of times a person has gone unconscious. We're now at 39 because we have a bunch this episode. Chloe, three times this episode. Lana, twice. And then Deputy Vertigo. So Lex has now been knocked unconscious six times. He drove off a bridge. He was twice knocked unconscious by Jeff Palmer. He was knocked out by Clark after being mind whammed. He, he was knocked out by being tasered by a fake Jude Royce. He was knocked out again by Clark when Clark shoves him against a wall while faking being mad. And then he was thrown from a moving limo. Whitney's been knocked unconscious three times uh, when he wrecked his truck due to Bug Boy attack, when he was thrown into a horse stall by Bug Boy, and then when Tyler throws him into a sink while visiting his dad's hospital room. Lana's now been unconscious seven times. First time happens off screen, but we find her still unconscious in a cocoon from Bug Boy. Lana was choked unconscious by Tina, who was shapeshifted as Whitney. Lana was asphyxiated by being entombed by Tina. Uh, she was thrown from her horse. She passed out while climbing the windmill in Chandler's Field after a Nicodemus flower infection. She passes out after being too close to an explosion, which showers her with dirt and meteor rock. And then she wakes up after being abducted by Deputy Watts. So we assume she was knocked unconscious, probably a syringe to the neck, if I had to guess. Uh, Principal Kwan was knocked unconscious once by being on a car and fire. He was later killed by a car, but we're not counting that as unconscious, though probably one happened before the other. Clark's been knocked unconscious twice uh, when he was given the deep freeze by Sean Kelvin and then when he was tossed onto the car by Eric after Eric stole his powers. Martha's been knocked unconscious once when she passes out from being in a corn silo. Petey has been knocked unconscious twice, once when he was thrown to the floor by Jody and then later when Clark concusses him because he's infected by the Nicodemus flower. 
Jody's been knocked unconscious once when her greenhouse exploded. Jeff Palmer was knocked unconscious by Clark. Kyle Tippett was knocked unconscious twice, once by Clark, uh, shoving him into a trailer, and then later after being shot by a mind-controlled deputy sheriff, which was not Watts or Vertigo. Chloe has been knocked unconscious three times this episode, five times total. Once when she fell three stories from the Luther Mansion. Once after being hit in the head with a Tenelokinesis-thrown horseshoe. Once by being chloroformed while being abducted. Once drugged by her abductor when she was trying to escape. And once by being buried alive before being found by Clark. James Beale was knocked unconscious after wrecking his truck during his Nicodemus flower-fueled road rage. Jonathan Kitt was knocked unconscious after shooting Clark accidentally during his Nicodemus flower-fueled road rage. Ryan was knocked unconscious when he was struck by Martha's car. Ryan's stepdad was knocked unconscious by a bowling ball thrown by Clark. Dominic was unconscious by a drugged drink that Lex gave him. Felice fell unconscious after bee stings. Sasha fell unconscious after bee stings and her building blowing up. And Justin, when thrown across Clark's barn by Clark. And Deputy Vertigo knocked unconscious this episode by Deputy Watts. And the total number of times someone goes to the hospital. We're now at 19. Quan goes there, though it happens off screen. Young Harry goes there for observation after Clark threw him into the car. Jody, uh, after a greenhouse exploded, those it happens off screen. Earl, after jittering at the Kent farm. Jeff Palmer, after fighting with Clark. Clark, after his run-in with Eric. Eric is being loaded into an ambulance after transferring his powers back to Clark. Chloe's now been in the hospital twice, once after she fell three floors from the Muther Mansion, and this episode after she's rescued by Clark from being buried alive. James Beale, after wrecking his truck, it's mentioned, but we never actually see it on screen. Jonathan Kent, after passing out due to his Nicodemus flower infection. Lana's now been to the hospital twice, once uh, after passing out due to the Nicodemus flower infection, and this episode after she's too near a gas main explosion, which also gave her a temporary psychic connection to Deputy Watts. Pete's been knocked unconscious by Clark due to the infection of the Nicodemus flower. Ryan was taken to the hospital by Martha after she hit him with his car. Uh, Whitney's dad after having another heart attack. In the drone episode, we have both Paul, Felice, and Sasha all go to the hospital at various points, but none of this is shown on screen. Pam, Lex's former nanny, was there for cancer treatment. And the total number of times someone has, Clark has tell, tone, hmm. Total number of times Clark tells or shows someone other than Lana's abilities, 18 with an asterisk. 